The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. I've got a gravelly voice. When I get the bird in my eye. Doesn't make any sense, I know. I'm a money guy. Um, one in five millennials is already doing it, and anyone with a job, a position, to take the crucial step. One in five millennials are already doing it. Is this a story about sex? No, 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 no. This is a story about saving. Millions of millennials have heard the message, saving early and often is the key to long-term financial security, and nearly one in five saves 15% or more of the paycheck which puts them on track to building $1 million in retirement. Millennials may be quirky. I'm looking at one who's got teal hair right now. They may be disinterested in a traditional career or formal marriage. They may be even annoyingly self-entitled. I once dated a millennial who she kept asking the waiter, is this orange juice fresh? This orange juice fresh? Is this in the waiter would say yes, yes. But what she was really trying to say: Did it come out of a carton, or did you squeeze it yourself? And it seems pretty like just go with it, just go with it. It's just breakfast. But millennials are at an impressionable age during the financial crisis, and many take the lessons to heart. In just a second, I'm going to give some investment advice tied towards everyone. But right now, I want to talk a little bit more about the millennials. An early start is the kicker. Among older generations, a greater percentage save 15% or more. Some 29% of Generation Xers. So what that tells me is 71% of Generation Xers are going to be in trouble. Unless they change their, 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 their deal. So that's 7 out of 10. Suddenly, as a Generation Xer, I look more attractive because I'm saving. So on the Darwinian financial scale, ching, I am a genius. Um, older Americans have higher incomes and less time to save. So that's something to think about. So an early start, pretty critical. 71% of millennials eligible for a 401k plan. Um, that's pretty good. So they get the plan offered to them. 70% of millennials began saving at an age of 22. Suddenly, the millennials are looking pretty smart. Boomers started saving for retirement at 35. I hate baby boomers. I hate baby boomers. You were the generation that brought about peace, love, and no war, and 
and free love in the 70s and the 60s. You brought about disco. I, I hate you for disco. But no, no. The 60s and the promise that the baby boomers had for the world, that they were going to change everything. They sold out in the 80s and 90s for BMWs. Woohoo! I got my, my Beamer! I hate you. I hate you. I don't even know you. And I hate your guts. So I like the millennials. I'm all about the millennials. On average, millennials make $73,000 a year. What? That's pretty decent income. But it's not slam dunk. Um, that's the savers. The people who save, excuse me, I kind of messed up that stat in my head. On average, the savers from the millennial side make $73,000 a year. But the average millennial earns about 59000 Super savers are putting away some 11% of their pay plus a 4% employer match. That's about twice the average for their generation. That's pretty impressive. Um, You know what the big difference is? It's having parents, coworkers, or friends that speak to them about the importance of savings. That's why the boomers aren't stupid. Their parents didn't tell them anything because their parents, baby boomers' parents had pensions. Being a college graduate tends to lead to a greater understanding of financial issues and wiser money decisions. You know that statistic there, right, that I keep throwing out there? This is stunning to me. Stunning. Usually a word used to describe a thing of beauty. But if you have a high school degree, you're more likely to buy branded products at a drugstore. Um, Think Bayer, think Tylenol. Whereas if you have a college degree, you're more likely to buy the CVS or Walgreens version of Bayer or Tylenol or Itch Ointment. Um, the cortisone cream, you can buy the one that's $4 or you can buy the knockoff version for two fifty. I find that, I find that interesting. So congratulations to millennials. Some of these statistics are showing that you're getting it and you're probably getting it because people help you or maybe shows like this. So if you're a generation X or a baby boomer, please tell people with the teal hair that are quirky, please tell them the, the annoying ones start saving. And please don't assume that they're stupid because they're not. They're doing a hell of a job, much better than the baby boomers Generation X at their age. Okay, now there's a lot of talk about, is the stock market too highly valued? Or will we grow earnings? Or, you know, will the interest rate... There's a lot of talk and fear about the valuation of the stock market. Value stocks are considered unduly cheap having underperformed growth stocks with little sign that investors prefer preference would change. So there's two types of stocks. Well, there's many types of stocks. There's large companies that are worth $20 billion. There's mid-sized companies that are worth 5 to $10 billion. There's small companies that are worth $1 billion. And the way you determine that depends on, you know, very different uh, of opinions. But you can buy small cap, mid cap, large cap companies. And then you can take those three valuations, and you can come up with what are called growth and value. And blend. Blend is a little bit of growth, a little bit of value. What I like to do is I like to buy large cap growth and large cap value. Mid cap growth, mid cap value. Small cap growth, small cap value. That's six choices. Or I could just go large cap blend, mid cap blend, small cap blend. Or I can mix and match. That gives me a lot of diversification. So when things go bad in the world, you have an issue where growth may get hit harder. 
But when things are going great in the world, value may underperform. But when things go bad in the world, when growth is getting hit, value outperforms. So if you're fearful that valuations have gotten too high, look for value stocks. You don't have to have economic optimism. You have to have optimism in capitalism. So the NASDAQ biotech index has tumbled. You know, it goes up, it goes down, it goes up, it goes down. Biotech stocks have a premium valuation. They're typically growth stocks because they're, cur- they're looking for a cure for cancer or a cure for hemorrhoids. I don't have hemorrhoids, but I like sitting on those hemorrhoid chairs. I just find them fun. Who doesn't like sitting on an air donut, right? Who doesn't like donuts? I had my first donut in like 15 years this weekend. Last week. Donuts. Oil stocks getting crushed sometimes create incredible values. But that doesn't mean that you're going to get instant gratification. Value is not instant gratification. Value is like it doesn't get me into a lot of trouble. Growth can be instant gratification, but it could also be, whoa, I just got into trouble. You know, is it better to ride with the kings and fight off evil villains or easier to sleep with the pigs? I don't know. I don't want you to be like a hero. I want you to combine some of the stuff. I'll talk more value at some point. If you ever have a question, rob at robblack.com. Email me, rob at robblack.com. Um, find me on Twitter, Rob Black Show, YouTube, Rob Black Show, Facebook, Cron4 Rob Black, Cron4 Rob Black, uh, KRON4 Rob Black. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. It's the Friday Ice Report. Friday Ice Report. Your San Jose Barracuda Hockey Updates. Always excited for this segment. Friday Ice Report. Let's talk with Joe Will, General Manager at San Jose Barracuda. How are you, Joe? Oh, doing great, Rob. Season's getting started. It's up and going, so you got that checkmark hit as you just moved the franchise from Worcester to San Jose, the AHL. Uh, affiliate for the San Jose Sharks opening night last Friday. Big crowd, lots of excitement. Tell me about it. Oh, it was great. Ended up having about 7,000 fans, a lot of people who had never been to hockey, uh, any hockey games or anything like that before, and uh, uh, it was a great buzz in the building. Uh, team came out ready to go, and I think the people here got to see what the AHL and, and Barracuda Hockey was all about. So at one point in time, Joe Pavelski and Logan Couture, San Jose Sharks, we're members of the AHL uh, affiliate to the Sharks, um, the Wooster Sharks, but or the Wooster, yeah, it was the Wooster Sharks, right? Yep. Um, but now you've, now you've got some young players that are going to be the up-and-comers. Uh, let's talk about your roster of young players and who we might be seeing as stars of the NHL one day. Uh, tell me a little bit about Nikolai Goldobin. Yeah, uh, Nikolai Goldobin was our first-round pick in uh, 2014. Um, you know, he's he's a... Uh, very skilled player, and you know, say a lot like uh, uh, Katrin Pavelski in the fact that you know his skills were really uh, are off the charts. But he uh, just needs to fine tune his game, and that's uh, uh, similar to you know Pavelski and Katrin who uh, needed to spend some time in the American Hockey League. Uh, Nikolai's doing the same, and that's uh, you know 
what we see in the American Hockey League is a lot of players that are, are probably capable of playing in the National Hockey League. They definitely are capable of playing in the National Hockey League, but they, they just need time to perfect little parts of their game. And they need time because typically, and this is just my words, not yours, but they're 18-year-old kids. You have to put 50 pounds of muscle on them. you got to get them in the gym. you got to get them eating right and skipping the pizzas, per se. What else do they need for, as far as seasoning goes to get to that next level? Um, really to work on their consistency. What we found is that, uh, you know, a lot of players we can, we can bring in for a game or two at a time. But what we talk about in the National Hockey League is you're playing 82 games, uh, with all the travel that we have out here against grown men who are, who are strong, who are good. You know, you're, you're playing against the Jonathan Taves and the, uh, the Drew Doughty's and, and, you know, all kinds of, uh, uh, great players in this league. For a game or two, our guys can usually handle it on adrenaline, but for 82 games, uh, you really need to build up your, your base, uh, you know, from your strength to your nutrition, to your rest, uh, you know, to your, your defensive responsibilities, all these things that uh, Roy Sommer and, and the trainers and everybody try to, uh, you know, coach into the players uh, when they're with the Barracuda. So by the time they get to the Sharks, it's just second nature. Speaking with the San Jose Barracuda general manager, Joe Will. We've got another young player that got a lot of ice time last year with the Sharks, but starts this year in the AHL with the Barracuda, Mirko Mueller. Uh, what do we need to know about his game? Well, Mirko is probably one of our, our best skaters in the organization. He's he's big, he skates well, and he's strong. And he's got a, a very bright future. Um, last year, we had him with the Sharks. Our, our options, we didn't have an AHL option with him last year. Uh, the, the way the rules were written, he either had junior hockey or the National Hockey League. Um, we felt National Hockey League was the best for him. He played uh, all in all. Uh, his games last year were probably about 50 when you counted his NHL games and some other international tournament games. Um, He's, he's a young player, 20 years old, who is learning his craft. I expect him probably to be back and forth between the Barracuda and the Sharks this year, but what you'll see with him is a big, strong player who skates well that's just going to have to learn the details of the game, and, and uh, Barracuda's perfect for him right now. How about your goalie, uh, Troy Grozniak? He played a little bit with the Sharks, I remember, for a small stretch last year. Does he look like the player that can break out down the road, or is he stuck in the AHL until... Something happens with the NHL goalies. Um, yeah, I, you know, you really all always need your third goaltender throughout the year. Between injuries or other things that happen throughout the year, uh, goalies or teams traditionally need three, uh, at least three goaltenders. Um, thing with Troy is he's he's very very close. Um, most of our goaltenders in this organization have, have kind of came up the same way he has. They've uh, the beauty of the Barracuda here is he can just play every night as he's getting ready. Uh, Troy came from a great college program at Union College in uh, uh, Albany, New York, uh, one of the top programs in the country. He had stellar numbers. Uh, we signed him as a free agent. Uh, he's played well for our minor league uh, uh, team for the past couple of years. Last year when he was recalled to uh, uh, San Jose, as I think a lot of Shark, Shark fans remember, he came right into uh, – uh, Carolina and got a shutout, uh, uh, about 50 saves. Uh, he was ready to go that night, and we think he's he's extremely close. And we think if we needed to call on him on a pinch, he'd be more than ready. Speaking with San Jose Barracuda general manager Joe Will, talk about some of the up and coming players. You named Brian Lurg captain, and 
I've been following the Sharks organization for about 14, 15 years. I've never heard the name Brian Lurg. Is that a faux pas of mine, or is he someone new? Well, we've we've had him a couple of years. Um, you know, he he had kind of went through minor hockey a little bit. Uh, um, he was before us. He was in the Colorado Avalanche organization, but he had really been in the minor leagues. Uh, he's a player who he played for uh, Michigan State. Um, he won a national championship with Michigan State. He was a big part of that team, and we noticed over his career he had been a, a big part of uh, a, a lot of teams. And we noticed some leadership qualities in him. And sure enough, when we brought him into our organization, we we noticed noticed that he was uh, just naturally kind of working with the young players, the type of player that we, we want to have around here, who could be a mentor uh, as well as a good depth player for uh, for us here in, uh, uh, with the Sharks. But he uh, uh, really exceeded our expectations in mentoring players, and at the end of the year he was rewarded with a, a recall uh and he came into Los Angeles and scored a big goal against the Kings. Uh, we brought him back this year. We just felt it was real important to have him and John McCarthy and Fraser McLaren and uh, a number of our, our veteran players uh, around to uh, be mentors for Barracuda players. I always get goosebumps when I see the AHL player called up and he gets his first NHL goal. It's pretty sweet to see. Um, how about, uh, Joe, the outlook for the season for the Barracuda? Well, I'll look for the season we think is good. We uh, we were a playoff team last year. Um, we uh, made it to the playoffs in Worcester. It's it's very much like the National Hockey League. There's 30 American Hockey League teams that are, are basically one for each National Hockey League team, and the playoffs are very similar uh, where it's four rounds of hockey. Very hard to get to the Calder Cup. Uh, it's really a grind. And getting into the playoffs, uh, half the teams get in, half the teams don't. So it's... Uh, uh, you know, we think we think we have a team that could compete for a playoff spot. We're in a very uh, tough division here in California. The teams that moved out, we're playing against the uh, Kings affiliate, the uh, uh, Kings affiliate, the Ducks affiliate, uh, Edmonton Oilers affiliate, and uh, Stockton uh, or in Stockton is the uh, Calgary Flames affiliate. But uh, uh, it's going to be a tough grind. But we think we have the team that uh, can hopefully get get us into the playoffs. Thanks for joining me. That's San Jose Barracuda General Manager Joe Well. Next live game Saturday, October 17th against Bakersfield Condors. Next home game Wednesday, October 21st, San Diego Goals at 7.30. Good seats available at sjbarracuda.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. There's a lot of moving pieces on Wall Street, and not all of them can be put into a puzzle and like, oh, I got it. Because literally the puzzle pieces move. Sometimes uh, 
we love buybacks. And sometimes we push back on buybacks. When a stock uses their cash to buy back their shares. Some investors hate that. They want the company to give the cash to the shareholders instead of buying back shares. Buybacks can be a little bit of a Wizard of Oz kind of scenario. Oftentimes I say, I like buybacks. I do like when companies use their cash when they see value in their stock. But sometimes it's a value trap. Even you can look at a value stock and say, hmm, this stock's trading, a financial company's trading 11 times earnings. And it's been around for hundreds of years, or 100 years, 100 years. Um, and you go, wow, you know, historically it's traded a little bit higher, a little bit lower, but I see some value there. And then we can get into a recession where like mortgages collapse and that bank had too many mortgages. So what looked like a value was a trap. So buybacks have that feel to them that they're a little bit of a wizard of the Oz because how smart is the company at doing their own buybacks or how stupid are they at doing their own buybacks? So in the end, the wizard of Oz he was revealed as nothing more than a man behind a curtain with some really cool special effects. Stock, back, stock buybacks might not be the great and powerful market force that they're thought to be. So you're doing a buy, uh, stock buyback. So a company like Apple, and I don't, I'm not disparaging Apple. Let's say a company like XYZ decides, like, we're, we've got $100 million. We're going to buy back 10% of our shares. And then China tanks and commodities tanks and emerging markets tank. And suddenly that stock's down even more, and they've already bought it higher. So some people don't like buybacks, and some people do. There's no right answer. That's the interesting part about Wall Street to me, is that there's no right answer. In economics, there's just compromises. If you tax the rich and give it to the poor, well, the rich may stop spending money. Or the rich may start saving money in a different manner. Or the rich may start, there's an unintended consequence. Of course, we'd all like to tax the rich and give it to the poor. The unfortunate part is, is I've got friends who do charity work around the world. I used to work with a guy named Henry Tenenbaum in news, and uh, he does a lot of charity work for you know non-government organizations, where like the Clinton Foundation, which is really interesting, um, they do a ton of global charity work. And whether you like Bill Clinton or not, I, I don't care. They do a lot of work. And that organization has to work with another organization. And it may be something like um, the Clinton administration or the Clinton Foundation has to work with the government of Ethiopia. And the government of Ethiopia has to work with the health department of Ethiopia. And the Clinton Foundation has to have a partner with, oh, say, someone who's able to do mapping technologies to figure out the best way to distribute blood samples, because when you draw blood and HIV, that blood has to be kept at a regular temperature, and you've got to get it to the lab as soon as possible. Um, so all of those moving parts have to work together. And a lot like stock buybacks, or a lot like, rather, tax the rich, it, it sounds like a great idea, but it doesn't always work out. Having talked to Henry, he's like... The amount of waste here, having been there on and off for 10 years and seeing, you know, billions of dollars flow into Ethiopia, trying to help their problems with tuberculosis, HIV, and Ebola, um, trying to help set in systems that, you know, are gritty and that can actually get reform. Um, 
it doesn't work. And a lot of the people from the Clinton Foundation, a lot of people from uh, other charitable organizations, they get frustrated at the amount of bureaucracy that stops everything. Same thing kind of happens in the United States and how poorly spent. Billions of dollars have been poorly spent. And I think we all love the idea of tax the rich. It's a great concept. Give it to the poor. But we don't have the government to do it efficiently. Wish we did. Um, so you're going to have beliefs like stock buybacks. You're going to have beliefs like tax the rich or don't tax the rich. Uh, it'll trickle down. They'll go spend more money. There's no right answers. There's just compromises. So try not to get too caught up when you invest. Like, this is what I'm going to do no matter what. Buybacks are becoming less effective. They're also becoming targets for some high-profile politicians who are increasingly calling for limits on share buybacks. Saying that buybacks are a symptom of the short-termism plaguing Wall Street. That instead, they should go out and create more jobs. That's what a politician says. That doesn't mean it's right. Can you imagine if um, Hillary Clinton were to say to you, let's say Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, let's either one of them, so whichever one you like, let's say they say to you um, something along the lines of, you know, Rob, I don't think you should be investing in yourself. I think you should start up. I think you should hire two more people. But I want to put some money in savings, and I want to you know, max out my 401k. Mm, I don't think that's a good idea. I think you should hire people. You'd be, like, greatly offended by that. And that's one of the reasons, like, again, it's really tough to have strong opinions that are correct over time on Wall Street. Now, I'm not demonizing all buybacks. I think some of them are great. Companies that have a track record of repurchasing their own shares have historically outperformed the market. That's why I like buybacks. But not all buybacks are created the same. So I'm not playing both sides of the fence. I'm just telling you. There are some serial share shrinkers, companies that have reduced share count for at least the past 10 years, i.e. buy back shares. Those stocks have outperformed the S&P 500 by seven points annually during the past 10 years. The serial share shrinkers have also outperformed the S&P 500 dividend aristocrats, companies that have grown their dividends for at least 25 consecutive years by two points during that period. Companies that have shrunk their share counts every year for the least last five years, they could be providing investors with a superior return down the road. And they demonstrate deeper resolve to maintain buybacks and likely convincing cash flow proves it. Names like IBM, Coca-Cola, and McDonald's. None of those stocks look like Rocky Balboa. None of them look like champs. IBM's like... IBM's not Salesforce.com. Is IBM the Rocky Balboa underdog? Now. Come on. Rock. Cut me. What a great scene when Mickey cut Rocky's eye so that he could keep it open during the fight as it was bruising. Would that happen today? Would that happen ever? I don't know enough about boxing. I'm too scared of boxing. Uh, I'm scared of Ronda Rousey. She would hit me so hard. She would judo chop me, throw me on the ground, and beat my face into a mashed potato pulp. So the IBMs of Coca-Cola and McDonald's who do these crazy buybacks, they're not looking terribly smart, sometimes in the short and medium term. But historically, companies that do these crazy serial share shrinkers 
have outperformed the market over a 10-year period. So, and again, you'll watch CNBC and you'll hear just snide, snarky remarks about this company is doing buybacks, but look how their shares have done in the last 12 months. Pretty interesting to me. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Best ways for kids to invest gift money. I love giving kids cash if they would invest it. I hate giving kids cash if they're just going to do what they want to. Years and years ago, before many of you were born, there was parents would give kids passbook savings accounts to teach their children about the magic of compounding. Money doubles every 7.2 years. Money doubles every 7.2 years in the stock market. So you have a little baby, you have a dollar, you do nothing but leave it there for 7.2 years, and magically there's a baby dollar. Awesome. That's something that's magic. Remember when you were a kid and you loved magic? And then at some point you hit that tipping point. You're like, this is just a waste of my time. I'd rather see the magic trick revealed than the magic trick itself. Um, saving for a kid's college, you can invest in an Atma Agma. I just say go with a 529 plan. Um, there's a great website called savingforcollege.com. It's run by a company that also owns bankrate.com, another great website. Uh, for banking information, CDs information, for credit card information. But savingforcollege.com is exactly what it sounds like, a website tied towards saving for college. I like the custodial 529 college plans. Custodial 529 plans are considered a parental asset under the financial aid formula. If you already have an UGMA, you can convert it to a custodial 529 because 529 plans accept only cash. You'll have to sell the investments in the account first. One possible sticking point is parents can change beneficiaries in their own 529 plans, but a custodial 529 plan must remain in your child's name. So if you want to start a retirement plan for your kid, not a retirement plan, a college plan, savingforcollege.com, open up a 529. If you already have an UGMA, which I don't know many people that do, you want to convert it to a 529 plan. With all that out there, um, there's little subtleties, so you have to educate yourself. Like, can your kid get control of that money? That was meant for college? Huh, yeah. In the custodial, yeah. So um, get your kid in a, get them in a 529 plan and show them the statements and show them about money and how magic it is. Or buy them a share, one share of Disney at buyandhold.com and show them how magical it works over time. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Find me online at robblack.com. online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money investments, and more money investments and more. I want to get you to retirement. That's the biggest kick. And I want you to get people that you know to retirement. So 
if I've inspired anyone, I think that's a great thing. I'm not trying to be an end-all, be-all guru on the mountain. I don't want to be your Buddha. I don't think that would work well. I don't think that I would help you by saying, um, this is exactly what you should do. Now go and execute. Because investing is a process. You're a much different investor than I am. You might be a single mother. You might be a divorced dad. You might be a happy couple. You might come from money and know an inheritance is coming. You might come from nothing and know that you've got to do scrap just to pay your bills. It's good Terry in Sunnyvale. Hello, Terry. Hello. How are you? Hi, I'm doing good, thank you. I was calling um, because I have a question about um, LERPs, life insurance uh, retirement plans. Yep. And um, so I did a seminar and they painted this beautiful picture um, about how it works great. And you were just talking about college funds, so it's, it's a great option for myself uh, to retire. I'm a single mom, so I worry about my son um, and what would happen to him if I wasn't around. So I was looking for life insurance, but this came up, which is a life insurance retirement plan. And it's, I, you know, it's a horrible idea. Really? Yeah. Even what, for my son as like a horrible, fun- horrible, horrible, horrible idea. I would rather, honestly, you come here and put it, like an ice pick through my eye than for you to do this. Really? Now, who invited you to the seminar? My friend. Who, what does, what do they do for a living? Well, he's um, trying to become a what, a broker maybe or something for... An, okay, an insurance person. Yes. Okay. Well, they offer different... Uh, I, can I say the company name? No. No, okay. So they just offer like different plans. They they work with companies as well as individuals. Okay. Um, and, of course, I went in and I said, well, I'm looking into setting up a college plan fund for my son. Okay. I'm um, a single mom. I would like life insurance. Yep. Um, and this is what they offered. This is the best thing that we have to offer, and here you go. Yeah. But tell me the firm just out of curiosity. Transamerica. Okay. Not a bad firm, but they sell a lot of bad products. Um, as a single mom, you have a job? Yes. Okay. So you need to get insurance to cover, let's, how old are you? I'm 35. Okay. You need to cover the next 25 years of your job. So you get what's called term life insurance, not uh, LERP, life insurance retirement plans. Mm-hmm. Insurance is to insure what you can't afford to lose, your career. If you right. died, your kid doesn't have income coming in. So you t- basically do 10 times your salary and you're done. You do it on term. Why? Because term life is cheaper than whole life or variable life, which this is a product of variable life. Life insurance should be tied towards insuring your life. Investments should be tied towards investing for your future. Term life is cheaper than whole life and variable life. Whole life and variable life have high commissions. You are what is referred to as a sucker because you're a single mom and you have a kid. And of course you want your kid to have income if you get hit by a bus and of course you want to send your kid to college and like of course you want to have investments in the future so it's easy to market to you because here's like the question don't you want your kid to go to college and you're like yes don't you want your kid to have money if i get hit by a bus yes well here's this great product so i'm not saying that life insurance has no value i think it like for instance i'm wealthy and Later in life, I could say, I'm going to give my estate to Stanford 
if Stanford, my $10 million state to Stanford, if Stanford will buy a $10 million whole life policy on me, and they're going to do that for like 5, 10, 15 years because I'm already 75 years old and I'm going to die. So it makes sense for them to lose money that's egregious in that scenario, but not for you. There's a really good chance you're going to live to 76 years old. So you don't need whole life insurance or variable life insurance. Variable life insurance is it's life insurance plus an investment, but you pay commissions for the life insurance and the investments, plus you pay fees for the the investments. It would be better that you buy term life insurance and invest the rest. Term so life you, is – go ahead. So are you saying that this is like variable life insurance? Yeah, that's what, exactly what it is. Oh, it's a little well, more than a – it's a life insurance retirement plan low. is – a life insurance inve- retirement plan is a euphemism for overfunded variable universal life insurance. They're typically sold to high net worth investors as a pseudo Roth replacement vehicle offering long-term tax-free accumulation of income. They offer the greatest, you know, like retirement cash needs are satisfied from alert via policy loans and withdrawals. You don't want this. If you want to drop me an email, it's rob at robblack.com. I will explain further to you or anyone else in an email because I can give you 30 pages from the SEC, from, you know, accredited government officials, from Jane Bryant Quinn, a credit investment financial professional. Um, but I would never buy life insurance from a stock investor. I would buy life insurance from, in my case, Geico or USAA, a low-cost insurance provider, not Franklin Templeton, not one of the big Transamerica names. I'm not going to do it because there's a broker in the middle who's making a commission, and that's so 1980s, 1970s, 1960s. With everything automated, it's so much cheaper to go to a company like a Geico who they don't have a broker who knows you. They've got a call center, but you only need the call center. Single mom, 35 years old with a kid, what you need is term life insurance for the next 25 years, 10 times your salary. That's what I'd start with. Maybe you could add another another $250,000 to the policy. You're not going to die. So it's going to be really, really cheap. They're counting on you not dying until you're 73. So the fact that you get it till you're 60... They're going to win, but you're going to win if you get hit by a bus. Buy term and invest the rest. Stay away from variable life. Stay away from whole life. I'm Rob Black. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision.